Okay, well, as you will know, we uh, I shared vision with you last week. Um, and if you missed it, please do catch up online on the podcast or um, on our website so you can just keep up to date with where we're at in terms of our vision for the year. But we looked at this theme of stand, stand in, stand up and stand firm. And it was based out of a passage, well-known passage in Ephesians 6 verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. All right, so three things, stand in, stand up and stand firm. And so this week we're going to be looking at stand in, but let me just zip through um, again um, what I looked at just very briefly last week under this word stand in. Stand in our identity, both as individuals and as a church, because we are sons and daughters of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. When we invite him into our lives, that is our identity. That is what defines us. We are loved. We are forgiven. We are filled by the Holy Spirit. And I believe that we all have a God-given purpose and that we were placed on this earth for such a time as this. And so we as a church, we want to equip you and empower you to walk in your identity and fulfill your purpose. And so they stand in your identity, stand in unity with one another. It's true that the church is stronger when we stand together, when we stand united with a common purpose, when we stand in love with one another and support of each other. In Psalm 133 verse 1 it says, How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. And so we need to stand in our identity We need to stand in unity with each other. And then the third one was stand in the gap. Because in Ezekiel, we hear that God was looking for someone faithful to stand in the gap. But as he was looking at his people, he found no one. He found no one. And so in this world that is filled with sin and darkness, my question to us is, can we stand in the gap? Can we be those that when God looks out at his people today, that he sees that we are willing, that we are able to stand in the gap to fight for righteousness? Can we be the ones who intercede with God on behalf of our family, on behalf of our friends and our co-workers and our classmates and whatever it may be? Can we stand in the gap? And so in reality, there are three sermons, if not more, in, those, in that one theme of stand in. But this morning, what I want to do, instead of kind of skimming over all three, we're just going to dig into one. And that one is stand in unity. And so we're just going to read from Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And I think this just sets the tone of this theme to stand in unity because the truth is we are under attack. We're under attack. We are in a war. We are in a spiritual battle. Whether we accept it or not, we're in it. And so we need to stand. We need to stand in unity. And unity is the, it's the essence, it's the core of how God wants us to live together, to experience life together in his church. And unity is so important that in God's word, it speaks more about unity than it does about heaven or hell. Unity is God's design for his church. But we're in this battle and the enemy is very real and his plan is to divide and conquer. That's his strategy. That's his plan. Divide and conquer. Create division amongst God's people to have us arguing and bickering and gossiping and falling out with each other. You know, there is such division within the church at large today and it's heartbreaking to see. Denominational division. These debates that go on around theological elements and these things that we just, we, we argue about and we disagree on. And if I'm truly honest, I have no idea how we overcome that. I have no idea how we come to a resolution in that. But what I do know is that we can begin right here. We can start right here. I don't know how to bring resolution in the Church of England. I don't know how to bring a resolution between us and the Methodist theology. But what I do know is that us here in Hope Church Lytham, we can come together in unity, that we can hear the gospel, that we can hear from the word of God and we can stand on the truth that is in this so that we can be a people in unity, so that we can be a people with one accord, with one purpose, with one Lord, a people that stands together. Because the truth is the devil is not afraid of a big church. The devil is afraid of a unified church. And so we need to be a church that is united. God's plan for his church is unity. And you know, I know this because uh, Jesus died, didn't he, for his church. And one of the very last things that was on his mind before he went to the cross was this theme of unity. That is what was going through his head in the final moments of his life. And we're going to look at that in a moment in John chapter 17 because in this moment in this passage this scripture Jesus is gathered with 12 of his best friends in the upper room and they're sharing a meal together what we just shared together known as the Lord's Supper and they're having this meal together and in just a few hours Jesus is going to be betrayed and sentenced to death on a cross and yet in these final moments Jesus prays this prayer in John 17. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, 
But they are in the world. We are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, would you keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And let's jump on to verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved me. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in all of them and I in them. In that prayer, in the upper room with his 12 disciples, Jesus prays this prayer and four times in that translation, four times he talks about this idea of unity. Four times he prays, Father, may they be as one. So let's just look at this, this prayer a little bit closer. Just break it down verse by verse. In verse 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. In the God's Word, God's Word translation, it says, So that their unity may be like ours. He's praying that we would be united in the same way that Father, Son and Holy Spirit are united. The Trinity, the perfect example of unity. One God in three persons. And each individual element of the Trinity is God on their own. And it's this baffling idea that some of us need to wrestle with, this idea of the Trinity. And I don't know, sometimes in kids' church, we try to explain it through the visual of an egg. The egg is one egg, but three parts, shell, white, and yolk. But the difference is, and where many kind of analogies of the Trinity fall down, is that an egg shell is not an egg. An egg yolk is not an egg. But the Holy Spirit is God. And Jesus is God and the Father is God. Each one on their own with their unique purpose is God. And also together they are God. And so he, he prays, Jesus prays, in the same way that the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are one, so should we, the church, be one, united in our pursuit of him, his will, his purpose and his kingdom. We are called to be united. In verse 20 and 21, Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, 
just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so here what we see is one of the driving purposes of the idea and the picture of us as a united church. Because Jesus prays that we may be one so that the world may believe. Our unity is our outreach. Our unity is our outreach. And verse 23 covers this as well. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know you that we would be united, that we would come together, that we would stand in unity so that the world knows about Jesus. That is the why behind the what. That we should be united so that the world can see Jesus in us and through us. Because our unity speaks louder than our words in this world. A united church sings of the united trinity it's our greatest witness because when there's gossiping and there's bickering and there's arguing and there's falling out and disagreements amongst God's people do you think that to the world that screams of a place that is united that is full of love that is full of peace and hope and joy not in one bit not in the slightest It's only when the church stands together in unity and in love and in respect of one another that people from the outside looking in see the beautiful picture of God's church that he created in the beginning, that we would be united, that we would stand in unity. Because that's how God intended us to live. That is what he wanted for his church, that we would be united and you know when I was just preparing this message and I got to this idea I was just reminded again of that picture I shared last week that Doreen uh, brought to me of us as a church just facing the front and worshiping God and it was because of that that people were drawn into this place not because of programs or events or meals or whatever it may be as good as they are but because we as a church were united in praising God and worshipping him, our eyes fixed on him, on pursuing his will and his purpose and his kingdom. It's our mutual love for God and the praises that flow from our lips that will draw people into relationship with God. Do you know, if believers like what they see, then they'll be willing to listen to what we have to say. If they like what they see, then they'll be willing to listen to what we say. But if we are a church, even just here in Hope Church Lytham, that are falling out over silly things and bickering and gossiping about one another, do you think that those outside are going to want to listen to what we have to say about Jesus? Not at all. Because our actions don't match our words. The message paraphrase puts that verse like this, then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. Can we show this hurting and broken world? Can we show the community in which God has placed us just how much he loves them 
by maturing in our oneness, by growing together in unity. In John chapter 13, it says this, that a new commandment I have given to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love each other. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By this, by loving each other, by having respect for one another, by caring for each other, by looking out for each other, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Our unity is proof of our discipleship. Our unity is proof of God's goodness. Our unity is proof of God's love, not just for us, but for everyone. But maybe let's just get real for a moment. Let's have some real talk in the place this morning. Because this picture of unity, this picture that Jesus paints of the united church, oh, it looks wonderful. And it sounds great. And I want it more than anything. But people are hard. Getting along with people can be challenging. Because when you get a bunch of people in one room with different backgrounds and different upbringings and different experiences, different ages, different genders, different races, there's going to be some disagreements. We're going to fall out over some stuff. We're going to have to work through some things. But here's the thing that when it comes to following Jesus, here's the thing, and this fits in with the theme of standing in our identity too. You are a Christian before you are a man. You are a Christian before you are a woman. You're a Christian before you're black or you're white. You are a Christian before you are old or you are young. Jesus defines your identity, nothing else. Jesus defines your identity. And I'm not dismissing your culture. And I am not downplaying our heritage, but Christ first and foremost, defines our identity. And when we let that truth sink in, when we let that be the plumb line that we are working from in our lives, I believe that a group as diverse as God's church can stand together in unity with one another. But it's not easy. I'm not pretending it's easy. I'm not pretending that it's going to be plain sailing to put this into action. But how do we do it? Look at this in verse 22. I love this. Jesus prays, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be as one, even as we are one. The message puts it like this. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so that they'll be unified and together as we are. Living in unity with one another, it's not going to be easy. But in this verse, there's a promise. In this verse, there is an encouragement because Jesus has given us exactly what we need in order to become the picture of a united church. His glory in us. His glory in us. And it's through his glory that we can stand united. 
And so now let's just fast forward from uh, the gathering in the upper room with Jesus to the gathering in the upper room just after Jesus has gone back to be with his father. There are 120 people gathered together. And in Acts 2 verse 1 we read that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all All 120 diverse people of different ages and genders and races were gathered together, it says, with one accord. And we know what happens next. Because a sound like rushing wind fills the place and everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit. But the verse in the scripture says that before that even happens, before the Holy Spirit comes down, They were gathered together in that place with one accord. Now that got me thinking, and I don't know, I'm just speculating. If in that room of 120 people, there was division, and there was gossiping, and there was backbiting and bickering and arguing, if in that place that was what it looks like, I wonder, would the Holy Spirit have arrived? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there as something to consider. But that is not the case because it says they were all together in one accord. They were a unified church in that moment. They were standing together in unity. And what happened is the Holy Spirit descended on them. And so I pray and my prayer is for our church that we won't be filled with gossip and bickering and backbiting but that we will stand in unity together, believing that as a united church, the holy fire from heaven will fall down in this place, will fill each and every one of us with his spirit, and it overflows through the way in which we live, the way in which we love, that we will see healings and miracles and resurrections in the power and name of Jesus Christ, because we are united Because we are together with one accord. Ruth and I don't, we watch a lot of telly, but we don't often watch reality TV. But just in this past month or so, we are so into the traitors. Is anyone watching the traitors? Just us and David. It's probably for the best. It's not particularly wholesome. But it's it's got us great, it's got us gripped. And so for those of you who don't know the game, I mean, we used to play it as teenagers. It was a game called Mafia. And you would get a group of people in a room and some of them would be uh, named traitors in the show. um, And the rest of them are faithful, but they don't know who is who. And so they just live together for like two, three weeks and they do challenges to raise money to go into a prize pot. And at the end of the game, whoever's left gets the money. And so the traitor's job is to try and deceive everyone else. Oh no, I'm a faithful. Don't vote me out. And at the end of each day, they get together around a table and they vote someone out. And then at night, the traitors murder someone. And so every day, two people go home. But what they introduced in the game is something called a shield. And the shield, if you get a shield, means that when it comes to nighttime, you can sleep soundly because the traitors can't murder you. But there's this interesting dynamic in the groups because the shields are earned during these missions where they can collect money for the group. And so it may be, so we were watching one last night and they had to build this trebuchet and they had to collect all these different items. But they could also choose 
to leave the team and go and find a shield and sort themselves out so that they would be safe instead of working as a team to help everyone win the money. And so there's this really interesting dynamic in the group when someone decides, I'm just going to leave you guys to it for a minute and I'm going to go and make sure I'm okay and then I'll come back and see what's what. Now, I don't blame the guys that go after the shield because they want to win the game, they want to earn the money. And actually, I think that these people are just a product of the world in which we live in today. Because the world we live in says, well, just look after me, myself, and I. Make sure you're okay first and foremost. Make sure that you're safe and don't care about how many people you have to tread on or let down in order to make that happen. And that's what happens in the spiritual battle that we are in. Because the enemy is trying to divide and conquer. The enemy wants to get us on our own, looking after ourselves, instead of working as a team, instead of being united as his church in the picture and the original design for us as Christ's followers. The enemy wants us to think, oh, well, I don't know if I'll be best in the group. Maybe I'll just go and sort myself out. And once he's got you alone, once he's got you away from the group, from the strength and the power that comes with being together, united, then he can begin to influence you. Then he can begin to pull you away from God's plans and God's purposes in your life. The enemy, as I've already said, is afraid of unity. And so he wants to separate us. He knows that a house divided amongst itself cannot stand. But what if we were different? What if we went against the grain? What if we ignored what the world says about looking after number one first and foremost and instead put each other first? What if we said it's more important that we're together in this than that I'm okay? And this theme, to me, it stands, of standing together, it builds so nicely on top of last year's theme in Acts that they devoted themselves. That scripture that was our main scripture for last year, that all the believers were together and they had everything in common. It says they sold property and possessions to give to those who had need. Now that is a picture of a unified church. They weren't storing up for, tre uh, for themselves treasures on this earth. They sold everything that they had and pooled their resources to make sure no one went without. But if you've got a team that is struggling and then one person that's gone out on their own and saying, well, I'm okay, even if they've got enough to help the rest of the group, we're seeing this fragmented picture of church that was not God's design. We need each other. We need to support one another. We need to stand in unity together. There was an original plan. There was an original design for God's church. And we see it in Acts 2. We see it with the early church, that they were together with one accord and the Holy Spirit descended, that they were living together and pooling their resources and making sure everyone was okay. 
that they weren't putting themselves first, that they instead were seeking God first and each other second. Can we be like that? Can we be the kind of people that put others before ourselves? Can we be the kind of people that place more importance on unity than personal security? Now, I've kind of gone a slightly different route than maybe would have been easy to do on a message around unity, but I'm just going to touch on the obvious scripture because you can't really talk about unity without touching on Paul's picture of the body of Christ. And let me just read, read this to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it really is a beautiful picture of the church. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. This picture of the church is just so beautiful. We need each other. We are many parts, even in this place, but we are one body. And the great thing that comes out in this scripture is that not only are we many parts, but we are also equal parts. There is no one greater or lesser than anyone else. We are all vitally important to the mission and the calling of God's people to go into the world, to proclaim the good news and to make disciples. We all have a part to play. We are all equally important in this mission for God's church. We all have a place and a role in the life of church. And Paul writes in the next verse, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. When we stand in unity, when we stand side by side, when we care for one another in the way that is painted in the scriptures, then when one of us is hurting, we all hurt. And when one of us rejoices, we can all rejoice. You know, I was reminded of that picture of, it's Moses, isn't it, who's holding his hands up over the battle. And as he's holding his hands up, the battle is being won. But as he gets tired, his arms begin to fall and the battle begins, they begin to lose the battle. And so two of his guys come next to him side by side and they hold up his hands because he's tired and he's hurting and he's broken. And so on his own, the battle would be lost. But together... Unified, stood side by side, lifting each other up. The battle can be won. And that is how it is in the church. Because let's come all the way back to the beginning. We are in a spiritual battle. There are powers and principalities in this dark world that want to destroy us. That want to divide and conquer. But we will be united. We will stand together with one accord. Praising one God, one Lord, one purpose, one kingdom. And together we can be strong. Together we can be 
powerful. In Jesus' prayer that we've been looking at this morning, he asks, don't take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the evil one. So when our enemy tries to get us on our own, when the the enemy tries this, this strategy, this tactic of divide and conquer, our greatest defense is to stand in unity. Our greatest defense is to stand in unity. And it's like that picture, and I'll end with this, that picture of Roman soldiers who go to battle, who go to war, and they've got their shields and they've got their swords. But when the enemy begins to fire flaming arrows at them, like the enemy in the scripture that we have read this morning, when the enemy begins to fire arrows at them, what do they do? Scatter stand on their own, think that they can get through it if they just go and hide behind a rock. No, they come together in this tight-knit formation known as testudo, which translates as tortoise, which I quite like, and they interlock their shields side by side. And the fun thing about this, which also is probably why it's known as tortoise, is it's not about moving and advancing forward, it's about defense, And so when the attacks are coming, they get into this formation, shields locked together on the front, on the sides, and on the top, so that the attacks of the enemy cannot get through. But if you're on your own, and you're over here with your shield, yeah, you're protected up the front, but what about your side, and what about your back, and what about the top? Together, side by side, Linking arms, holding hands, praying for one another. Together we can be safe, we can be protected from the attacks of the evil one. We are stronger together, we are safer together. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Why? For there the Lord commands a blessing. Oh, we don't stand together united because we want a blessing. That is not why we stand in unity. But when we stand in unity, God will bless us. God will pour out his blessings. It is a command. God commands a blessing when his church, when his people stand together in unity. And so one more time this morning, I'm going to ask us, Can we stand in unity together? Can we stand in unity? Can we support the person on our left and the person on our right when they're hurting, when they're broken, when they're in need of an extra touch from God? Can we stand with them in prayer? Why don't we we stand? Let's, Let's do this. Let's get a little bit weird for a moment. Let's stand and link arms with the person next to you. Put your arms on, the, on their shoulders and we're going to pray standing in unity together. I'm going to stand down here. Yeah, so God, I just thank you for this picture of a church that stands in unity. That when we are together, we are protected from the attacks of the enemy. God, I pray that we would not forget that we are in a battle that we would not forget that we are at risk because we call ourselves Christ followers. 
but that we would recognize the truth that when we stand together, when we stand in unity, something incredible can happen. Your Holy Spirit will fall on us like we've never experienced it before. Like a mighty rushing wind in this place, as Hope Church Lytham stands together, united. That God, you would begin to move. That God, you would begin to break through. That God, we would see healings. We would see miracles. We would see strongholds broken down. That no attack, that no arrow fired from the enemy would make its way through, but that we would be safe and we would be secure and we would be grounded in you. And so we pray in the mighty name of Jesus that we would stand united in all and through all in Jesus' name. 